Hi, and welcome to episode 53 of The Home Hour. This is the show where we talk about your family, your home, food, parenting, life, and everything that goes on inside your four walls. I'm your host, Megan Francis, mom of five and creator of The Happiest Home Blog, and I'm glad you're here. So I have to apologize for the long uh, pause between episodes. I think the last one we published was in middle of February, and so it's been a while. Um, Ironically, part of the reason is because we're developing a few new shows that are going to start in April, and I've been working with Sarah and Shana and behind the scenes with my husband, John, who edits for me. He was in episode 52. Um, to make sure that we have the schedule and the format and the guests and all those things worked out. And so it's been a lot of kind of behind the scenes work. So I just haven't been doing as much out in front of the curtain, I guess. Um, But it's really exciting. We're going to have two new shows starting in April, the Mom Hour and the Style Hour, and a third show that will be launching sometime that month um, with my friend Jessica Ashley, who's also a freelance writer, and that show is going to be about writing at home as a mom. Probably a little bit different of a format um, for that one, and it'll be a little shorter and more kind of helpful and advice-y, not not this kind of interview um, setup. But It's going to be a lot of fun and I'm really, really excited and wow, it's a lot of work. So (laughs) I would love for you to just keep your eyes out for new shows being released. Just check out thehappiesthome.com or just go straight to thehomehour.com. It will take you to all the most recent episodes of the Home Hour and then eventually we will also have episodes of the Mom Hour and the Style Hour and Work at Home Moms coming out as well. So um, that's going to be really exciting. Also, cut a couple other things coming up that I think I mentioned in the last episode. I'm working on a live uh, retreat that's going to happen this fall. Um, It's going to be in my neck of the woods. I will have more information about that at the Happiest Home next week. So definitely keep your eyes out for that information to be released. And today we've got a great show. I am interviewing Jessica Turner, who is the creator of The Mom Creative and also the author of a new book called The Fringe Hours. And her book is all about finding time and making time for yourself um, amid all of the responsibilities and commitments that we have to our families and our spouses and and elsewhere in this world. Um, A lot of times it's really difficult to make time for ourselves. And so Jessica, her whole book was uh, researching and asking women what are the snags? What are the obstacles that you're running into and that make it difficult for you to make time for yourself? And then coming up with solutions to help uh, women make themselves more of a priority, whether that's through some creative pursuit or just self-care, finding time for friendships, all those kinds of things. So we had a great conversation. She is in the middle of a whirlwind book tour with a new baby, which I really um, can respect. And so we had a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Jessica, thanks for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So we were just talking about, um, before we started to record, how um, Jessica is launching a baby and a book at the same time, (laughs) (laughs) and her newborn is asleep in the house. So if we end up hearing any, you know, little sounds, that explains it. But I'm sure everyone listening can totally understand. Yes. (laughs) How's that experience been, by the way? Like, this is your first book, right? It is. It is. My husband is a full-time writer and has written about 20 books. And okay. so, so you I'm did very, have an idea of what you were getting into. You know, I sort of did, but I work <laughs> full-time outside the home. And so 
I've ne- for any of his book launches, I've never really been in the like thick of watching him like work to get ready, you know, from nine mm-hmm. to five because I wasn't around. And so I have felt a little a little more overwhelmed than I thought I would. I think it's more the lack of sleep than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's a lot of um, I feel like there's a lot of hurry up and wait kind of stuff, you know, like you're waiting for something to happen. And then all these things are contingent on that one thing happening. And, you know, like for the media, for example, you're doing a lot of promotion right now. Right. And so you kind of have to wait for all those things to line up. But then one placement leads to another to another and it's like wait what and then it gets back to normal it does get back to normal eventually <laughs> yes yes I, yeah. I know that that will happen and I think that I um put off doing some things so I thought oh when I'm on maternity leave I'll have so much time not remembering that I would be <laughs> nursing every 90 minutes and right. not sleeping for more than two and a half hours of any stretch at, at night so um it has been it's been definitely a different experience this time around than it was with my first two kids that's for sure how old are they now they're six and three. So, and isn't it funny how quickly you forget? I mean, I uh, was just with a friend who had a newborn the other day and not even a newborn. She's like five, four months old. And I just kept thinking, wow, this baby takes up a lot of time. <laughs> I've kind I of forgotten that, you know, your whole life is just sort of centers around feedings, basically. Yes. Yes. I um, have joked that <laughs> in January, I think I put a bra on like four times in the whole month because it just like wasn't worth it, you right. know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. So let's talk about the fringe hours. Um, I love the concept behind this book and I'm sure so many moms listening and maybe, you know, dads too will really identify with some of the struggles that you put forward. But first I want to talk about the title and the concept. Like where did you come up with this idea of fringe hours? Um, and, and also how did you know, I mean, that this would be something that other parents would, could really relate to? You know, I don't know how I came up with the phrase fringe hours. I think that I work in the fringe hours, that I was doing things in the fringe hours was just kind of something that was in my vernacular. Um, I was actually at a blogging conference called Alt two years ago and I was sitting in a session and it just kind of hit me, bam, in that session, I should write a book called The Fringe Hours. And I actually bought the domain during that session, during that blog conference. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I was like, this this is something I have to do. And with my husband writing full-time and me working full-time, I never really had any sort of appetite to write a book. Um, I know a lot of people say that, but it's, like, really true. I mean, I just – people would ask me that because I've been blogging for so long. Oh, are you going to write a book? Are you going to write a book? And I'd always just say no. But then when I came up with the idea for The Fringe Hours – I just felt so strongly that this was a book that women needed because it answered the question that I get asked all the time, which was, how do you do it all? How do you do it all? And really what people wanted to know wasn't about doing all of these different things about working and blogging and crafting and parenting. They really wanted to know the like crafting part. They wanted to know how I was fitting the me time in with right. all of these other things. Because we know? all know how we fit the rest of it in. We have right, to. Cause so have to. <laughs> right, because you have to. Right, exactly. Right. Like, we all know how we parent, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it really what I first thought, gosh, this this is such a need because it's something that I'm asked so often. Um, but then I knew that I couldn't just write from my own experience, that that wasn't going to be relatable to the masses, I mm-hmm. felt like. Um, and so I conducted a survey and posted it online and had more than 2,000 women respond from all 50 states and, and really even around the world about time what they're passionate about, what their struggles are. And from that, that really kind of changed the book in a lot of ways because 
I originally thought I was going to start it out with just telling how to do it, how to find the fringe hours, how to make time for you. But then once I conducted the survey and realized all of these issues that women face for why they're not making time, I realized I had to start there. And so the whole first section of the book deals with the things that women struggle with for why we're not making time. So that not that it's going to fix everything, but just having that conversation, I felt like better than position someone to say, okay, this is what I face here are some things that I can do to overcome that so that I'm a, at least a, a bit okay with making time for myself because so many women aren't even okay with the idea of right. making time for themselves. Yeah, that's so that's so true. And it's um, I think that you made the right choice because otherwise, you know, it can come off as a little, I don't want to, maybe not flip isn't the right word, but sometimes I'll feel like when I'm talking to people and saying, you know, you, you can't just find time, you have to make it and here's how I've done it. Um, Without them really understanding what obstacles I've come across, which are similar, I think we all, even if we all respond to them in slightly different ways, we all sort of hit a lot of these same obstacles along the course of our lives as parents at some point. And I'm past a lot of that. I've had kids for 17 years. So, I mean, a lot of that is just kind of in my history, not so much in my present day to day, but just acknowledging that that was ever an issue. It's like, oh, okay. You know, now they can see that it was, it's something I've dealt with and it just makes it, like you said, much more relatable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, The Fringe Hours is a book for married women, single women, kids, no kids, because it really is a universal struggle. Um, Women are just really good at making time for everything and everyone except themselves. So while I'm a mom and while you're a mom, I do think that um, it it crosses beyond just motherhood. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. And it's frustrating to me because I see it around me and I experience it myself. And I just wonder why. So I'm wondering in the research that you did, um, especially someone who doesn't have kids, like why would she feel guilty about spending time on herself? And I know this is definitely an issue. I'm just wondering what it is about women in general that kind of programs us to feel that way. And then how do you get past those messages? It's one thing when you have a newborn and you're like, well, this is just the way it is. I mean, I have a kid and, and it needs to eat. But it's another thing when you have a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or no children at all. And really there's nothing stopping you but accept yourself. Right. Why is that? You know, I could go in so many different directions. One issue I think is that we have this desire to be perfect. And so if we don't have kids, maybe we're working full time. Mm -hmm. And so we throw ourselves into our jobs 150, 200%. You know, my um, boss is an empty nester and um, she's divorced and she is often the last one to leave the office. You know, she's there till 6 30 7 o'clock at night and she's amazing and inspiring but she doesn't have as much time for herself because she works so much and more than what is even required of her and I think in general women are really good at doing more than what is required of us you know so for moms instead of just going and buy cookies at the store we make this Pinterest recipe of these chocolate chip cookies that are you know just like whatever, Mrs. Fields or, you know, and spend all of this time when that is not really necessary. And it's not something we're passionate about. It's fine to make the Pinterest cookies if that's what you're passionate about and you enjoy doing it. But if you're doing it just because you think you're supposed to, like to be that perfect room mom, and that's not coming from the right place. And it's taking away time that you could be spending doing something that you actually enjoy. I'm really glad that you addressed that because there is such a difference between uh, you know, people who love to, exa- for example, love to plan parties and are really good at doing the decorations and that, that scratches some itch for them or, or like the cookies or whatever. And I think sometimes we, 
assign a disproportionate amount of benefit to something that really isn't. So, okay, if I look at a cookie recipe and I think, yes, I'd rather my kids ate these cookies that were all made with homemade ingredients because, you know, it's more natural and it's more healthy or whatever, for whatever reason. It's cuter. I don't know. Um, but really, my kids are only going to eat like one or two of those cookies. So as like the proportion to the effort that I put in, <laughs> it doesn't always work out, right? But for some reason, I assign things like that more importance than I might right. something for my career, which could really make a big impact on my kids or for something that I just want to do for myself that could really benefit me um, emotionally or, you know, physically exercise mm -hmm. is one. Right. So it's just, I, I have seen that definitely play out and the cookies are a great example of it because it's something we can all relate to that moment where you're like, Oh, I could just go to the store, but then, but a lot of times it's about what the other people think I think as well or what we, it yeah, right. It absolutely is. Um, I'm one of those people who really loves, loves, loves throwing parties, mm -hmm. um, like plan them six to nine months in advance, like have so much fun doing all the crafting. Like it's a huge part of our family summer. My kids have summer birthdays and, um, I will hear that from moms that come, you know, oh, so-and-so, you know, my son really wants a party just like this, or I could never throw a party like this. You know, like they just start comparing and I'm like, look, I do this because I love doing it. Mm -hmm. If you don't love doing it, go and have your party at Pizza Perfect. Your kid will be just as happy. And frankly, my kid will be just as happy. Right. <laughs> you know, my, my kids are like, why can't we go to Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah. You know, yes. like, oh my gosh, yeah. um, and, and so I think that, that is, again, us doing it to ourselves, right? It's a self-imposed pressure. And so often those self-imposed pressures are also impacting our time and our perspective and the choices that we're making. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm glad that you also addressed um, resting and getting help in the book because I think that those are two things that uh, it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction that we don't want to cop to getting enough sleep. You know, we all want to sort of seem like we're running on fumes all the time, whether or not that's true. And often it is, um, as you point out in the book, and you could probably talk about that research and, and the data behind that, but also getting help. It's like something we don't want to admit we do, even when we do it, it's like we try to downplay it. And I'm wondering when you, when you spoke to women about both of those two areas of their lives, like, what did you find out? Did anything surprise you? I, you know, I think um, the getting help, particularly help with cleaning, yeah. was an interesting one that people don't want to admit to doing or yeah. it's just kind of a nonchalant thing or like I know for myself, so cleaning is one area that um, I have someone who comes twice a month to clean. They actually mm -hmm. were here this morning and my house is so much more glorious than it was I when we got feeling. here. Yeah. Um, but that was a really hard one for me for a couple different reasons. One, because my mom never had help cleaning right. and our house always was cleaner than my house ever is. And financially, you know, could we afford it? And, and what did that mean for us to be paying for someone to ha come in and clean? Like that's something that rich people do and we're not right. rich. So why should we be doing that? Right. Um, and then feeling personally kind of feeling like a failure, like, why can I not do this? Lots and lots of women do this. Most women do this. My mom did this. My grandmother, you know, like why, why am I failing? You know, instead of embracing the fact that getting the help made sense because of the time that I was going to get back. You know, I right. work full time. My mom and grandma didn't work 40 hours outside the home. 
And so life was different for them. Um, I don't want to spend my entire Saturday cleaning when I could be doing things with my kids, when I could be doing things for myself, when I could be writing. You know, I could be writing a sponsored blog post that's going to more than cover the cost of that cleaning, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I really looked at it from that vantage point of getting time back and helping somebody else, right? So we're helping a small business by giving them business too. Yeah. Um, all of those things made it kind of seem like a no-brainer. Um, but that is one that's, I think, hard for a lot of women to admit. And, yeah. you know, in the book I talk about not just help that you pay for. So doing bartering and, um, you know, talking with, doing babysitting trades or, you know, I have a friend who really loves to organize and, um, you know, that I could cook her a meal and she could come and help me organize a closet or whatever. That um, help doesn't necessarily have to be something that you pay for. Um, and I, I just think that it's important to acknowledge that because I yeah. think so often we equate that to well, being costly. I think that that's true. Okay. So I don't know if you and I were, um, as much in touch them, but a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, I wrote a blog post about how I had a cleaning person and I could not believe the response I got. I mean, most people were like, yeah, yeah, you, you should, but there were one person came right out and said, Oh, um, I have, I feel differently about you now. Like I thought you did all this by yourself and you don't. And like, this changes my opinion of you. And I was really, really kind of shocked by that, to be honest. I mean, she would have said it very nicely, but I was like, Whoa, what? And then, then I had a troll and it blew up and it was like 300 comments and it it got out of hand, but (laughs) I couldn't believe the amount of this one thing paying for someone to clean and I think sometimes when we do the babysitting swaps or we do the bartering that to us as women feels a little bit more excusable somehow because we're trading our time for someone else's time and when it's Mm -hmm. money for a service it's so much I don't want to use the word cleaner but it's just like it's so straightforward it's like it's transactional here's my money you do this for me it's business and it's over and I think that we have a hard time with that and so my you know I tried to logic my way in, to get people to kind of understand where I was coming from. And I realized there was such an emotional thing atta- attached to the idea of taking care of your own home that it was really tough to use logic. Like I said, you know, you don't make your own clothes, I'm assuming. You don't bake your own bread. Those are all things you could technically do for yourself, and, and people do. Right, um, But I'm right. assuming you don't. <laughs> so what is it about cleaning? What is what is that? Um, and I also found it really interesting that people from other cultures did not have the hang-up that American women have. That is so true. So I interviewed two people for the book who live overseas who both had help cleaning. And one woman, she had a full-time housekeeper. And it was just like what they did, you know, where she lived. And it wasn't a big deal at all. So I do think, uh, you know, it might even go back to this resurgence of um, you know, the 50s housewife and doing things ourselves and, and kind of that Pinterest perfect that we should be doing those things. I write about in the book about getting a Groupon to have somebody come and paint our dining room and kitchen. Mm-hmm. And yes, we could have painted those two rooms, but for a hundred dollars, I came home from work and that project was done. And it would have taken me an entire Saturday to get those two rooms done, plus dealing with the kids on top of it, right? Like it was a very, very good use of our money to just get that done and have it paid for, you know? And so um, I think sometimes we don't think about that, um, about what the the cost time self-worth benefit is, you know? like. so now the more help I get, the more help I want. I'm like, oh, can we hire someone for that? <laughs> exactly. Oh, can we hire someone for that? You yeah, know, um, yeah. because then it gives me time to 
to do things that I actually want to do and will enjoy doing. Well, and I'm glad that you pointed out the helping a small business thing. Um, I, two thoughts on that. First of all, I've, the women that I've talked to who have lived in other, you know, I'm thinking of South America, um, and several Latin American countries. And they said, you know, even if you're just middle class, that's just what you do. It's considered almost a responsibility to the people in your community who need work and you're providing work to people. So that's one way of looking at it. The way I look at it is, you know, when, when you kind of, I I had a cleaning person for a while and when I kind of did the math, um, first of all, she was more educated than me. She was working on her second master's degree. So that was made me laugh when, you know, (laughs) people were like, Oh, like thinking I'm some kind of elitist. Um, but also we were sort of splitting the money for that hour. You know, whatever I was going to earn while she was there, you know, she charged a fair, a definitely a fair wage for herself. And so we were kind of divvying <laughs> my money up. I kind of looked at it that way and it felt very fair and very equitable to me. And it felt like supporting a, a small business the way I would shop in my downtown area. It just, right, to me, it never right. felt yucky at all. It never had any kind of uh, feeling of taking advantage of somebody or having someone come into my big fancy house, haha, and take care of my toilets. I mean, I can wash toilets with the best of them and I will, and I do. Uh, but sometimes I just, I just don't want to. So, right. <laughs> and right. Yeah, yeah, it's worth, it's worth hiring that out. So totally. So we and were, rest, oh, go ahead. You, you had just also mentioned about talking about rest and the importance yes. of that and sleep and that sort of thing. And, um, I'm really good, except when I have a newborn, I'm really good at getting good amounts of sleep. <laughs> I'm, I'm very yeah. much an eight hours person and, and really feel like that helps me function better and I'm happier and I'm healthier when I'm getting enough sleep. Um, but that is not the norm in America. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, and across the board, I had, um, that was one of the questions in the survey that I asked was how much sleep people got. And um, it was interesting because most people were not getting enough sleep. That was just kind of the norm. Um, but how important that is. And that, and that's another part of self-care is taking care of your body um, in that regard. Yeah. I, and that's funny because one of the other most hot button posts I've ever written on my blog was about sleep. <laughs> and it was also one that I wrote and I was a little more, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't want to say like pushy. I was just a little more opinionated than I often am. I try to you know, kind of really walk up a middle line with things. But I was like, look, we're not, none of us are doing ourselves any favors by either not getting enough sleep or saying we're not getting enough sleep because also that skews the expectation for everybody. So it's kind of hard sometimes to know everyone's walking around exhausted and, you know, tired all the time. Um, but almost kind of bragging about it. Like we're so tired. And why are we so tired, right? right? Because I didn't get into this in the survey, but just from conversations with people, I feel like sometimes we're really tired because we're binge watching on Netflix, right? Yep. Or we're on yes. Pinterest for two hours and all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. it's 1130, right. you know, and then we're complaining we don't have any time for ourselves mm-hmm. and we're tired to boot, you know? And so I think just looking at how you're spending your time um, in toward the beginning of the book when I'm talking about ways to find that time. I talk about doing a time tracker exercise where you literally track all of your time over the course of a week, everything, the laundry, the carpool line, meetings, all of it. Um, And it's really interesting. Even if you think you know where your time is going, it's kind of like when you track food and you think you know what you're eating, but you weren't tracking the like handful of M&Ms that you had in the middle of the afternoon and, and that sort of thing. It's the exact same with time. And so after you do that for a week, you really see where your time is going and kind of where you're squandering the time. And 
And I would say in most cases, you're going to find that, yes, you do have time for yourself. It's just maybe you're not using it well um, or or it's just being, you know, missed opportunities. You know, we spend 45 to 60 minutes a day waiting. You know, what are you doing when you're waiting? Are you flipping through your iPhone or are you reading a book you wanted to read? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. And I would love to then kind of use that as an opportunity to talk about social media because I know that that's a huge one. And, you know, I feel like... For bloggers, that was a problem, you know, five to eight years ago. And maybe some of us kind of had to figure out how to get it under control. Not saying we're all doing a bang up job at it, but I I feel like for people who were maybe getting, you know, Facebook didn't really blow up in my world till about two or three years ago. That's when everybody suddenly got on it. Before that, it was just like writer friends and bloggers that I knew. (laughs) And so I feel like now it's like we're all in this soup together trying to grapple with this constant flow of content. And we, it, it, we're just passive. We're just passively accepting it. We don't have to even put any effort into it anymore. And it's a little bit, it's more than a little bit addicting, but it also makes you forget how to go out and find your own, how to like do stuff, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. absolutely does. Yeah, absolutely does. You know, I, we still have a landline at my house um, because my husband does so many interviews and so he just needs to have it and so I don't have my cell phone out for the most part from six to eight o'clock when I get home from work to the kids go to bed I leave it in my purse and so I'm like you know if someone needs to get a hold of me they'll call our house phone but I don't need to have that appendage attached to me but I think somehow when you only have that one device it's wherever you are and it makes it even more tempting to be picking it up and scrolling through it. And so I talk a lot about boundaries and about, do you need to delete the app or do you need to silence things? You know, what do you need to do to create those boundaries and create that space in your life? How do you do that personally? Besides not, you know, having your phone on you. Is there, cause I know also as bloggers, we have to be on our computers a lot, which yeah, then you have that other layer of possibility. Right. It is. It's challenging for me because my day job, I work in social media as well. I do content. (laughs) I do. Yeah, I do content strategy and social media management for a big hospital here in Nashville. And so I have to be on it all day. And so it's very because I'm on it all day. I'm. It's very easy to, you know, converse with people and see things. So I do have to really be boundaried for when I'm not going to be looking at it, you know, Mm -hmm. turning off the Wi-Fi, even sometimes on on my laptop or going to a coffee shop that doesn't have Wi-Fi if I'm going to write. It's it's easier when I'm working on a project to just kind of not have it there. But if my computer is open, um, I pretty much always have have that Facebook tab open or up in the middle of the night feeding the baby. I'm looking at Instagram, you know? Yeah, yeah. I actually had um, set up my computer to... uh, first of all, block Facebook for a while because it just got to the point where it was kind of unhealthy. And this was during a time when there were a lot of arguments, like a lot of big things going on that people were mad about. Um, I didn't really, it was over the summer. So there were several big news stories people were really upset about. And I would find myself, not just the mindlessness and the time suck aspect of it, but just getting sucked into other people's outrage. <laughs> and, you know, there these stories that I didn't even really care that much about. Or if I did, I'd already said my piece. I really didn't need to keep going, you know, layer beyond layer about it. And I finally right. just had to block it because I just realized that every time I was such a habit, um, it was such a habit for me to just get on and just mindlessly go to Facebook without even thinking about it. Um, and just putting that extra step. Now I could still open another browser, like in a different, you know, program and still right. go to Facebook right. if I wanted to, but just having it in my usual browser Chrome uh, so that I couldn't do it 
kind of made me think, hey, wait, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> sometimes it's just that little right. brain, that little brain, you know, re trick. You just got to rewire it. And it takes time to do that. It absolutely does. You know, for me, I have more found that unfollowing certain people is what I need in my life. Okay, yeah. Than shutting off the media entirely and really partly because I can't um, with, right. with work. Um, even to the point where we have an on-call schedule and so every four weeks I'm on call nights and weekends. Um, and so, it, you know, I can't ignore it entirely. But are there certain people that every time I see the, their pictures or, you know, see their post that brings up negative feelings for me. And if that's happening, then I'll just unfollow them. Mm -hmm. um, either block them from my feed where we're still friends, but I'm just not seeing them if it's Facebook or, you know, actually unfollowing on Instagram um, yeah. and then manually going if I want to, you know, check out periodically, but then I'm not kind of hit with it unexpectedly. Right. Um, because then, you know, that breeds comparison, that breeds jealousy, yeah. that just yeah. breeds emotions that are not healthy and not needed. Yeah. And also if that's, you know, if that person is your aunt or your cousin or something, they don't ever have to know that you did that, at least on Facebook. Absolutely. So, right. And you, and one other thing that I found kind of useful on Facebook is you can make it, um, you know, if you're somebody that you like and you don't mind seeing them right, but right now they're just really on a, on a tear about something and you just don't want to see them talk about that anymore. You can just say, uh, I don't want to see this. And then you can say, I want to see fewer posts about this or that. And right. because what ends up happening is I think face, you know, Facebook's algorithms kind of reward whatever behavior they, they see, even if sometimes you're clicking on something cause you hate it <laughs> or like, you know, it just keeps coming to the top of your, it just keeps coming to the top of your feed. So you can actually say, Hey, I just want to see a little bit less. I don't want this person to completely disappear, but right. They need to just kind of be less of a force in my life at this moment. So yeah, it's, and that stuff is all about self-preservation. I think, you know, it's like, how do you set up your online life in a way that's healthy and doesn't in interfere with all the other things that you want to do? Mm-hmm. That's right. You talk about hobbies in the book, and that is something I would love to have you talk a little bit more about because um, you are, so you're online all day for your job, and you're writing all day for your job, and then you're writing for your blog, which is another job, um, even though it, maybe it's one that you're, maybe it's more of a hobby or a passion project. So do you have things that you do? I know you like to craft, and those are things that are big to you, but how do you make that not just feel like more work? Yeah, that is something that we my husband and I talk about a lot um, because I don't want to be crafting with my kids just because it's going to turn into a blog post, exactly, right? Yeah. Um, and it becomes work or even scrapbooking um, is a big thing in my life. And I started teaching and doing classes and stuff. And then all of a sudden it was all work related. And so I have to be sure to be doing things that aren't going to be seen anywhere. Yeah. I know that's kind of a silly way to put it, but no, that, I think that makes total sense that literally I'm just creating the photo book for our family mm -hmm. or I am, um, you know, sewing a dress for my daughter that is not going to turn into a tutorial on my site, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, that I have to do those types of things because otherwise it all feels like work and then I'm really not taking care of myself. And, you know, reading is a big one for me, that that's really an escape where even if I will do a roundup of books that I've read, it doesn't feel like content. It really feels like just for me. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another big one. And I really love taking baths. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of baths and I probably bring that up now because I had a C-section and so they said I can't have a bath oh, for six sad. weeks and 
I said to my husband this morning, I go, I can't wait to take a bath next oh. week. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. But just having some of that like quiet solitude, mm-hmm. I guess, um, is really, really something that I enjoy. Yeah. I, I'm also a big bath taker and I used to be the, uh, the bathroom off of our bedroom in our current house does not have a bathtub. So I have to go up to the kids' bathroom, which is not always ideal. Let's just put it that way. I've got four right. boys and <laughs> it can look a little bit like a frat house up there sometimes. But man, I miss it because it used to be, that was like my reset button. You know, if I felt like I was getting too much in my head or too much in the internet or, you know, too much feedback coming my way and it was started to feel like I was just spinning my wheels. I'm sure you know that feeling. Um, just being overwhelmed with input like coming at me, but me not able to kind of make sense of it all. I would just take a bath and it was, you can't, you know, really, well, I guess you could take your phone into the bath, but I, I think that's probably, I'm so much of a klutz. I never would, Um, (laughs) but it's just like a reset. And it's, it's, it's also, you know, like a sensual experience, not to make it, you know, porny, but just, you know what I mean? Like it's, it it is, it is that. And so it's totally different. It's not at all like staring at a screen. Um, so it's kind of like a little reset. Now I just take a walk, except not right, right now because it's so, so it's cold, so cold and so snowy. Where are you located again? I'm in Nashville, so there's no so snowy okay, right. in my. Yeah, but it is it is cold, um, but even it's not as cold. Well. My family's in Wisconsin, so <laughs> okay, I grew, you get it. I grew up, it. yeah, um, with lots and lots of cold, which is why I moved south as soon as I graduated oh, college. Yeah, I lived in Nashville for like I think about a year and a half, and I loved it there because you still did get some chilly. It was chilly. You know, right. but it never you get like three and a quarter seasons. I yeah. Would say. Yeah. But it never and it's beautiful down there. It is a really nice place. I'd like to I, I sometimes think that it's one of those places like at some point in my life, I'd like to go back and live there again just for a season, you know, just for a mm-hmm. little little while. But yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. So, OK, so we've talked we've covered sleep, rest. We've covered we've talked about hobbies. What are some other things? Oh, community. Let's talk about that as well. Um, and that's a chapter I didn't actually get to just yet in your book, but I'm kind of wondering, first of all, what obstacles did you find that the women that you surveyed had in, in developing their own communities? And then what were some of the solutions that you came up with for the book? You know, I didn't talk a whole lot of really, I don't even know if I covered community really at all in the survey. Okay. Um, but I think that when, why I wanted to include it is because so often when you think of making time for you, it's just by yourself. Okay. Right. It's just going for that walk or it's just, you know, doing that sewing project or knitting or whatever it is. Uh, But that it's just making time for you is isolated. And that isn't always true, right? That part of what everybody needs is to be around other people and how community can play into that. So it might be taking an exercise class Mm -hmm. or a sewing class, or it might be that you call up a friend and you go out to lunch and you get some quality conversation during that, that period of time. And so I think what is important to remember in that in taking care of yourself, that it shouldn't all be siloed, that you need to involve other people as part of that. Now, the flip side is there are people who will, for instance, get really involved in their church and mm. they'll be there Wednesday night and Saturday right. night and Sunday and Sunday night and, you know, volunteering and doing all of these things. And so they're around people a lot and they have a lot of community, but they're pouring so much into other people and doing so many of those types of activities that they're not getting any time for themselves. And that's not healthy or good either. And so it, 
in the fringe hours, I just talk about the importance of cultivating community, having friendship and having that be a part of how you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think sometimes too, it's like, we don't always even identify that lack of community as an issue, as an obstacle, but then it kind of can become clear that we're kind of isolating ourselves. Um, not always intentionally, but I can think of times in my life, especially when I had small children that I never saw anybody. I never went anywhere unless it had something to do with my kids. It was all right. centered around them. So that is something that I think, and, and also it can be very simple. It can be like a weekly two hour class or a book club or, you know, something like that. It doesn't have to be something that takes up all your time. Absolutely. I know for me, I've never really been able to join a mom's group because mm-hmm. they always seem to be during the day and I'm yeah. at work during the day. And um, my church just started one for the winter semester right now while I'm on maternity leave. And so I signed up for it. And it was just so great to be with other women who are kind of in the same life stage as me. But the night before I contemplated, am I going to go to this? You know, I'm yeah. going to have to get up and get dressed and get out of the house. And sometimes that just feels overwhelming, particularly yeah. when, when you're in, you know, the season I'm in of, of little kids. And so um, I did end up going and then I was so happy that I did it. It was just such a good reminder that we need community. We yes. we can't live, you know, just in our own little bubble. That and, you know, one thing that um, kind of occurred to me recently, um, it, often when I think when you're in a place in your life where it's hard to get out and definitely having a newborn and a toddler those kinds of phases can be like that, especially if your spouse works long hours or for whatever reason isn't available to take care or if you're a single mom um, or if you just have a, a busy work schedule. So I found that the idea of internet community has changed a lot and I don't think necessarily for the better. Um, and I'm thinking of when I was a new mom, there wasn't, there weren't any blogs really yet. This was a long time ago. Uh, there was forums And so it felt really intimate. I mean, you'd get on and you'd have, you know, maybe 20 other people that were really active in the forum and you'd really get to know these people and they'd become friends and you'd have these really intense conversations and stuff. And I, I feel like a little bit of that has the potential to get lost because we all, now we view our internet time as so much more like broadcasting, I think, and having sometimes thousands of friends and followers. And it's not as much always about those intimate conversations. So I really encourage uh, other women to join small, to seek out small groups. And it could be a Facebook group or a bulletin board. Those do exist every now and then. Like somebody from a bulletin board will link to my blog and it always blows me away. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the, it, it is, it is possible to narrow your stream down and your feed and have it not be a feed, have it be a, a conversation, like a real conversation. Yeah. I think that is, uh, I have a several small groups on Facebook, but that's really my favorite part of Facebook are those small groups. But I think with social media, it can't be the replacement for real life community and people in your life. I think sometimes it can be, it can feel like you have community, but it's all online. And I don't think that is the same as being with people face to face. It's not, it's definitely not. But I think that it can, when you're in that place, sometimes I guess, uh, it, it's it's a nice thing to compliment, but not replace it, like you said. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. So you also wrote a little bit about guilt and comparison. Um, and I'm guessing that that was a big one in your survey. It really was. It really was. And that was that's a big one for me, too, personally. So that was of, of the struggles um, that I write about, about pursuing balance and self-imposed pressures and then guilt and comparison. The guilt and comparison chapter was probably the biggest one for me that I fight. Um, I just, 
can very easily start comparing myself to what other people are doing or what other people's lives look like. And then spending my time doing things just because I'm comparing myself to others. Yeah, totally. And one thing that I think has been something that I've realized um, over the last few years is that I owe it to myself and to the moms and women coming up kind of behind me to be super honest about everything because otherwise I think sometimes the only way for people to understand the real, really what's going on is to say, Hey, I get like eight hours to eight to 10 hours of sleep at night. So you can too. You know what I mean? And I think that like, it's that admitting when things aren't going right, but also when you're doing something that can come across as kind of selfish, like the house cleaner or whatever, telling people about it because that's the only way we're all going to know that other people are doing this and making it a priority. Right. And be, and explaining why it's not selfish. In that right. Well, right, example, right, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, because again, then, then we start comparing ourselves to, to what other people are doing and not knowing the full scope. You know, we're looking at the little square photo on, on Instagram instead of what the whole room looks like. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, for debt, you know, as long as I can remember women's magazines have given lip service to this idea of taking care of yourself and they like to use, you know, the cliched thing about the airplane and the, and the oxygen, the mask. oxygen yep. mask. And I'm like, right. I know, but most people look at that as a life or death. I mean, it is, you know, life or death situation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in the day to day when they're trying to decide if they can really justify taking an hour to just kind of zone out um, and think about something that they want to do or read a book and not clean or whatever, um, whatever choice that they're making at the time. I think that sometimes we have a hard time relating those two things. One is very intense and, and like in your face. And obviously, uh, if a plane is going down, I'm going to take their advice on that, but I might not always take the advice to take care of myself on a Tuesday afternoon. So it's, it's a different, it's a different way of looking at it. Um, but I also think it's like a muscle that you flex. Yep. Absolutely. The the more you do it, the more you get used to it. Mm Mm-hmm. So what's next for you, Jessica? So your your book is going to be out when this, you know, maybe I think the exact day this goes live. I'm assuming yes. it's going to be in all of the stores so people will it not will, have a hard time finding it. They will not have a hard time finding it. It should be wherever books are sold, which is very exciting. That is you know, I hope what's next for me is some sleep. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is what I want more than anything right these days. Um, but no, I signed a two-book deal with Ravel. So okay. um, there will be another book. I don't know what it will be yet. Um, but I'm just excited about – because, you know, it's such a long process from the start of, you know, thinking of a book yeah. and hiring an agent to then getting it signed and, and writing it. So I'm excited that – this has been something that's been brewing for a couple of years for it to right. be out there and just for it to be a part of the conversation um, for a while. So I'm just kind of excited for the conversation to happen and for women to be reading it. And we have a product line um, that I'm launching with Dayspring, which is oh, the awesome. faith, yeah. faith line of um, Hallmark um, that has to, that is called the Fringe Hours Collection. And it's note cards and little tote bags and oh, paper exciting. products and stuff like that. And so um, I'm excited about that and for people kind of pairing those things together. So um, I'm just excited for the next couple of months just to see see what happens. And at the same time, having a baby that hopefully learns how to sleep and, <laughs> and grows bigger and, and we figure out life as a family of five. Wow. And how was he like four weeks old now? I'm already losing track. Yeah. He was born New Year's Eve. New Year's mm-hmm. Eve. Oh, gosh, I'm really close. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you're going to be doing some traveling, right? I, I am. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. I'm going. Um, 
I'm going to Austin actually this week um, for a conference, and then I'm going to Canada um, the beginning of March to do some media, and then there might be some other travel with media opportunities. We'll see when the book comes out. So, so that explains um, the baby passport picture I saw. Yes, right? yes, yes. So <laughs> okay. um, let me tell you, getting a passport for a newborn is a nightmare, just oh, no. an absolute nightmare because they can't um, say anything, right? <laughs> well, you have to. You have. You have How do you to wait. Prove they exist. <laughs> right, right. Well, you have to wait for the birth certificate, right. and that takes thirty to forty-five days. And oh, my, my trip is sixty days after he's born, and so. Um, even with the rushing and everything else, it's going to be cutting it very, very close. So I literally had to call my congressman's office to help get it expedited so that we'll have it in time to, to go to Canada at the beginning of March. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's all very exciting. And does your husband come along when you travel with a a little baby? Does he come along to help or do you have Um, other help? Well, you know, he will actually be out of the country when, um, (laughs) when he works with world vision and he'll be in Armenia when I'm in Canada. And so my mom is coming from Wisconsin to keep the older kids, um, here in Nashville. And then a friend is going to travel with me to Toronto. So I will have some help in Canada. Yeah. So that will be, that will be good. But yes, we're going to be all over the place. That actually sounds kind of fun to me because, you know, as much as it'll probably also be kind of exhausting, there is something about that newborn period where you can start to feel a little bit of cabin fever and like every day is exactly the same. Yes. <laughs> you know, that feeling. So it'd be kind of fun to shake things up and hang out with a friend and do some traveling. I hope. Yeah. And he, you know, he's, he's a very easy baby, which I hear is pretty common for the third yeah, that child. Definitely played out um, for us. Yeah. So I'm thankful for that. You know, if I put him out, you know, wear him, he tends to just sleep and he just likes to eat a lot. And, mm-hmm. um, and eat often. So I can't yeah. really complain though. He's a, a healthy, easy baby. <laughs> well, good. I, I hope he's also a great traveler and, uh, and doesn't have any trouble doing the hotel thing, which none of our babies did. And our third baby was the easiest too. So there's more, more fuel for that particular, uh, theory. Yes. <laughs> our yes. third was totally easy. And he was also the only one who I could ever just lay down and just kind of like, go go to sleep. And he would just go to sleep. It was kind of mess with my head. It's like something wrong with this kid. (laughs) Something wrong with this kid. Uh, But none of my other ones did that either. It was just the third. So (laughs) that's hilarious. I know. Well, Jessica, thanks so much for being on the show. This has been great. Everybody look for the book, The Fringe Hours, which is out today and available wherever books are sold. And you can also find Jessica on themomcreative.com. Jessica, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this episode of The Home Hour. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to check out Jessica's book and blog at themomcreative.com. And also keep your eye on The Happiest Home next week where I'll have announcements about the retreat that's coming up as well as some news about the shows that you can expect to come out in April. Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.